Hey everyone, welcome to the Golf Shot Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Badley. Um, sorry we missed last week. I know I've been saying that I want to make this, you know, a consistent thing. And so to miss an early week like that definitely uh, is annoying from my own perspective. But, um, you know, I wanted to start this after the Ryder Cup, after having so many thoughts. But as I kind of joked about with the shotgun start, starting at that same time, kind of five years prior, if you had listened to um, a couple week, weeks ago, Shane Bacon was on that pod and he made a joke about starting a, a, a podcast in September. And he was like, wow, what a great idea, starting a golf podcast in September. And I'm kind of feeling I know why he felt that way because there's just like not that much to talk about in the fall. But we're going to power through. Um, sorry once again for missing last week. That's totally on me. Uh, to be honest, I felt weird because I just didn't want to kind of say a bunch of stuff about the Zozo Championship, having really not been able to catch a whole lot of it. And unlike previous weeks where I was traveling and it was a little difficult to catch the golf, the Zozo, just the time difference with it being held in Japan, I really only caught a few moments of it a little bit like uh there was a replay thursday friday morning when i was getting up from work i was catching a little bit of that looked like there was some pretty crazy weather the first few days which i thought was interesting the scores were pretty high um but really didn't see a whole lot of the tournament um i felt bad for justin suh who has held the 54 hole lead his first 54 hole lead on the pga tour uh, kind of thought he may get it done, but it, he really struggled on Sunday and kind of folded. Um, and it really left the door open for uh, one of the top players in the field, Colin Morikawa, to emerge. And he, he kind of ran away with the tournament, uh, shooting 63 in the final round to win by six. Uh, really impressive for Morikawa. I didn't see a lot of it, but he seemed to be kind of firing on all cylinders for him. Uh, obviously. I assume the iron game was great. It looked like he was putting pretty solid. And, you know, definitely a step in the right direction for Morikawa after kind of a down year. Um, didn't really have the consistent success we had expected from him over the last few years. Didn't have the major uh, championship kind of run as he had been having the last few years. Um, so nice to see Morikawa get back in the winner's circle. Uh, nice to see American Ryder Cupper kind of show up uh, a little late, but uh, I'm glad he played well, and we'll love to see him have a good year in, in 2024. The only other thing I want to kind of shout out in the world of golf is the uh, Asian Pacific Amateur Championship took place last weekend, and Jasper Stubbs uh, was your winner. He is a 22-year-old, uh, excuse me, 21-year-old Australian player. And with that win, obviously, he gets the invite into the Masters next year, which is such a huge uh, accomplishment and obviously really exciting for him. So shout out to Jasper. Uh, congrats. And we'll see him at the Masters in April. So it's kind of interesting. You know, you look around the golf media world right now, uh, obviously really quiet. I think there's a lot of people trying to put out content right now, and I, I'm kind of seeing it from a slightly different perspective, uh, trying to do this myself. And so, you know, Andy Lack, who I've mentioned on this pod, is kind of 
somebody I really respect and look up to and kind of uh, inspired by with this podcast. You know, he went, he on his podcast had Andy Johnson. I think the first time he had been on that podcast, I definitely saw Andy Johnson as an inspiration for Andy Lack, as Andy Johnson, an inspiration for myself. Clearly, Andy uh, is definitely a shotgun start listener. He mentioned being a club, um, what what's it called, the Friday Club member on there, which I can't think of the name of right now, which I kind of feel bad that I'm not a member of, and maybe maybe I'll put that on my Christmas list because uh, I do really love the work that Fried Egg does, and I should definitely uh, kind of further my support for them in uh, doing that whole thing. But um, anyhow, I kind of you know I was listening to Andy's podcast, and I was reading up. Um, I got Kyle Porter's uh, newsletter this week, which. I've also kind of shouted out the last few weeks and, you know, everybody's just kind of thinking about golf in various ways. Cause there's nothing like right there in front of you to kind of talk about. Um, I do kind of want to talk about one of the things Kyle mentioned in his, his uh, podcast, his newsletter, which I found interesting, which he, he talked about the money made on in men's professional golf this year. And so he had a list that he compiled quite meticulously but through his own admission not completely accurate just because of the uh, difficulty in calculating live earnings but he kind of listed who he thought made the most money this year and I want to be clear that you know everybody should subscribe to Kyle Porter's newsletter if, if you don't already I don't want just to, to regurgitate all the hard work that he put in and just copy the material that is rightfully his and he put all the work in for. Um, so I don't want to, you know, I think go read it for yourself if you want the bigger picture. But what was super interesting, I thought, is that looking at the list, it wasn't filled with all live players. And part of the reason for that is because the live contracts, as far as like signing up for the league, isn't part of this list right so we don't exactly know how much money dustin johnson or phil mickelson or bryson you know are making on an annual basis to be on live we still to be honest i don't know if we know for sure how these contracts work as far as how winnings are calculated versus what this their kind of their sign up fee is going to be but uh taylor gooch is the man who won the most money in professional golf this year, according to Kyle, with $36.2 million in earnings. Obviously an outrageous amount. Um, easily the most money made ever on course for any player, and that includes Tiger Woods, obviously. I think all these guys can thank Tiger Woods for all the money made, regardless of what tour and where they played. Um, but what's you know, interesting is that Victor Hovland's number two at $33.5 million. Scotty Schaffer's number three at $26 million. And then Brooks Kepka for ROM 5, Rory 6. And it's a kind of a mix of PGA Tour and Live Guys. And so it is kind of interesting because it really makes it seem like a competition between these two leagues. And I kind of was just struck that it wasn't the Live Guys just dominating the board. And... It also, you know, and, and Kyle kind of shouts this out, it kind of shows that this is probably unsustainable 
for both, but definitely unsustainable for the PGA Tour. Um, they likely cannot be dishing out this much money for winners. And uh, like the Hovland thing includes the, P- the, uh, the FedEx Cup Championship, obviously. But this doesn't seem like a sustainable model uh, based on how much money the PGA Tour uh, makes and bring like brings in and the attention. This is not one of the major leagues in the United States. Not necessarily. It's just not on par with major leagues around the world from professional football leagues, uh, the NFL, major league baseball, NBA, etc. So just interesting. Check out Kyle's newsletter. Okay, to backtrack a second, I realized what I didn't say, what I was trying to say earlier about Andy Lack's podcast, having Andy Johnson on, is that they were going through uh, what they both thought should be the top 10 or like a 10-course rota for the U.S. Open. And I'm not going to talk about what they talked about here, but it just kind of reiterated to me yeah, this is kind of the uh, the dog days of professional golf. It's not a whole lot going on. Um, so that's the type of uh, kind of fun conversation that you can have at this time of the season. Definitely got me thinking. Wasn't really even in the like, even the mood to kind of listen to something like that. But uh, they always bring like just their unique insights and just it's it's good. Like it's almost like um, barroom conversation, you know, just like talking to your buddies if your buddies happen to be super big golf nerds and be like yeah what should be the u.s open rota i mean my main takeaway being from the boston area is the country club country club got a shout out which i love to hear uh boston is underserved by professional golf events and the country club should definitely be uh it would definitely be in my u.s open rota i can tell you that and i thought the u.s open 2022 was a huge success and I was really happy and really kind of like proud to see the takeaways from the course and the event and how a Boston US Open like could work so well. Uh, I did also hear that the LPGA is starting up an event in Boston at TPC Boston which I think is a great idea. Um, That course I know is probably super bummed to have the PGA Tour leave that was kind of the impetus for the whole the whole build of the golf course. Um, kind of a maligned golf course, I think, when it was on the PGA Tour schedule. But I just have a lot of fondness for that event uh, growing up, going to it, especially when it was known as the Deutsche Bank, even before it was part of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, it was kind of a nothing event, except for the fact that Tiger Woods played in it because his foundation was involved in it. And so obviously that would just draw huge, huge crowds. Um, I just re- even remember the early days when ABC was still covering golf and the event was on ABC Sports. Um, and then it really kind of elevated when it moved into the playoffs. That's when the players started to kind of complain about the course because <laughs> it was in this elevated position. But um, Gil Hans came in uh, at some point in like the late 2000s, early 2010s. Uh, did a renovation at the course, kind of like made it, kind of tried to New England, New Englandify it. I believe was like kind of a term that he used, as it was a Arnold Palmer design, and, and it did kind of like it was kind of a weird course. And honestly, there's there's lots of weird things about it. Uh, a lot of like wetlands, it's kind of cutting through, and 
a little Florida-ish for New England. Um, but I, I think what Hans did like really enhanced the course. And um, it's kind of a fun play. I mean, my dad is able to play there a lot uh, as he was involved in, involved in some mass golf stuff. And, you know, his takeaway was always that, you know, the PGA Tour players like eat it up because it's kind of an easy course and he's not wrong it is kind of easy and it will always play it a little too easy um Hans certainly didn't necessarily toughen it up he just kind of like changed it made it more interesting but it was always kind of like kind of an easy course um interesting to see if that would be the case for the LPGA tour it certainly certainly seems like it would be more of an easy PGA tour course just because some of the force carries and things like that 18 is kind of a wacky hole where you're hitting over big uh wetlands um but yeah exciting i think they'll get get great crowds uh at boston sports fans do really come out for these types of events and like any golf event that happens in new england always draws a good crowd u.s amateur a senior u.s open um it's just a golf crazy place and so happy to hear that Happy for TPC Boston, and hopefully the tour wakes up a little bit and gets an event uh, back in the Boston area sometime soon. Okay, so before I talk about some random golf stuff from from myself that I wanted to get to, uh, just going to note that this week on the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour is back after a week off last week um, with the Worldwide Technology Championship down in Mexico. Uh, This is not the greatest field in the world uh <laughs> i think only five guys from inside the top 50 are in the field uh top guy is kim young he's the highest ranked player in the in the field um i don't have a lot to say about this championship i don't even have really a pick for you guys i'll leave that to the, the professional gamblers um if you have been following along my picks have been pretty terrible so far so it's probably best I leave that to somebody who's uh dove a little deeper into the the stats and things, but it's uh not really something I'm not really a must watch. I'd say I think most people will be preoccupied with uh just the array of sports going on. We got obviously college football and the NFL uh, NBA season starting up, and they're starting up the. This in-season tournament is going to be starting up next week, and then the World Series is going on. So I think that's where most uh, sports fans' attention is. But hey, if you want to tune in for a wide technology championship, um, I assume we'll be on Golf Channel. I don't know if we'll be on NBC. I doubt it, but probably completely on Golf Channel this weekend. And uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Okay, to end things off here, I was just going to talk a little bit about my own personal golf experience this past weekend. Um, I don't know if this will be interesting. I kind of just even immediately saying that off the top, I almost feel like I'm already in like the fantasy football cliche of like nobody cares about your fantasy football team. Uh, normally, I'd say that nobody, you know, cliche in golf is that nobody cares about what you shot or your hole by hole analysis or, your, you know, <laughs> anything like that um i actually don't mind when people do that especially if it's 
relatively interesting if you have like an interesting perspective on things i'm not sure i will i'm not going to give you shots i can't even remember that type of stuff and i'm not one of these guys like i feel like a lot of guys who talk about architecture have like these photographic memories of every hole i have to go back and like look up what hole was what to like clear it in my head because it just all blends together for me I don't know how my dad does it. He just like remembers every hole he plays and like runs through the course for the first, he may have played it for the first time and he's like, oh yeah, this was the 12th, this was the 13th, blah, blah, blah. Uh, not really for me. So I have to go back and kind of like relearn and be like, oh yeah, that's that's what that was. Yeah, that was the 13th, that was the 14th. But anyhow, um, so what I did on this past Saturday uh, was this was kind of long time on the books was a couple of friends of mine from uh, summer camp where I used to work and I used to attend uh, two guys I've been close with since I was like in seventh grade uh, attended the camp with and then we were counselors together both from the Philly area as a lot of people at the camp were so we uh, one of them my friends is a member of a place called Lulu Country Club down outside of Philadelphia uh, very close to where he lives and where he grew up and so he invited me and my other friend down uh, to play. And so went down there and just had a really, really great day. It was really, really beautiful here in the Northeast. It was over 80 degrees here, which is crazy for late October. It was like one of the definitely the last warm, warm day of the year up here, I'd say. I think I can safely say that. Um, so basically I took... To get down there, I took an Amtrak uh, about, uh, what was it, 8 o'clock in the morning and went from Penn Station in New York City down to 30th Street Station in Philly. Took the, set the regional rail up towards the golf course where I met up with my, my friend Peter and he picked me up. He also lives in the Philly area, not the member of this club. And then we met up with my friend Kevin, who's the member. Uh, and had a day at Lulu, and it was my first time playing there. I was excited to see it. Um, I kind of had heard that Lulu is kind of like a little brother uh, club in the Philly area. Philly is obviously a very rich uh, golf area, lots of notable clubs. Uh, it actually borders uh, manufacturers, which is a well-known uh, William Flynn course right nearby, and kind of like looms over Lulu as like the alpha of the two. And, you know, there's just like, there's tons of golf courses around there. I mean, there's Philly Cricket Club, there's uh, Philadelphia Country Club, North Hills Country Club. Um, so just a golf rich area. But uh, Lulu is an old club uh, found in 1912 uh, and, and a Donald Ross design. Donald Ross, the golf course architect that I grew up with, uh, he was the architect at Concord Country Club that I played at and Oak Hill Country Club in Fitchburg, Mass, where my dad grew up, and I used to play when I was little. Um, and so I'm very familiar with Ross. Ross, I have a soft spot for Ross. Um, just being a New England guy and just being just what I grew up with. It's kind of what I'm used to. And so I was excited for Lulu. I didn't have, like, very... I was excited to go to a private course, see a new place, but I didn't... I wouldn't say I had the highest expectations. Um, I had known that the club had struggled for a long time. And I actually didn't know, but my friend filled me in that, you know, it's now privately owned. And, you know, he kind of came in at a time when they were really looking for members. Um, 
so I wasn't sure if the, you know, the, what, really what it would be like, you know, what kind of experience it would be like. Um, but I was really, I was really kind of surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Um, the conditioning was great. That's not necessarily saying anything about the architecture, but I just thought, um, you know, there had recently been some fairway expansion work that they were working on, but you know, so that area was a little rough, but I think it was like, obviously a good, it's a good move. It definitely, I could see how it's going to improve the course. I found the bunkers really strategic and really, really well placed. Uh, definitely had that Ross kind of grass face look to them that we associate with him. I don't know at what era he was there. Um, I assume he was there right in the beginning in 1912 and doing a little deep dive in the course. It looks like Ron Forrest was there in the mid 2000s and he seems to be the one who's really, really improved the course, brought it back to that, to that Ross look and really, um, kind of gave it the look that we have today. And the other big thing is that there's been a lot of tree removal from what I've, what I've seen, like doing some, some looking on Google Earth and from what my friend Kevin told me. And that's definitely, um, it's really opened up the golf course. Um, you get to see all the undulation that's out there and it's probably really helped the turf conditions. Um, the one, you know, one thing I will say is that, you know, it, it's a, it's a small, golf course it from the bag it's actually 6600 we played about 6300 um but it's tight it's like an old school property it's almost wedged in into like a city block kind of feel uh a road goes through the middle so it, it isn't split by by halves but there's eight holes on one side of the roll the road and then the rest of the holes are on the side of the clubhouse and you have a lot of holes that border roads which can be a little intimidating especially if you're kind of sailing it off the tee as we were as a group. So you got to be a little careful out there. I'm sure there's a lot of angry neighbors around the golf course and some uh, scared drivers as they come by, uh, especially at the the um, right-hand side. So if you're <laughs> slicing it, you might be ending up in some yards out there. And then even around the golf course, there's some some tight spots, especially on the back nine where you just got to be careful about the other holes kind of jumping in. Some A lot of the tees are really close to the greens. Um, so you do have to be a little careful out there. And it's an area where technology is definitely like, uh, definitely hurt a golf course like this, where people are just so much longer and so much more wild. Uh, you just kind of got to mind yourself out there. But I thought the golf course was really cool. I mean, I wish I had played a little bit, bit better. I was not prepared for the firmness of the greens or the speed of the greens, which a guy, there was a single who was paired up with us, said was a extra, you know, so much slower than they had been. I don't know if he was just like gaslighting us, but they seemed pretty fast to me. I mean, one of the greens on the front nine, what was it, three, four, five, like the six hole, I think, the par three. It's a two-tier green, kind of a typical uphill loss-looking hole. This, these balls, if you roll the ball like up the slope and it didn't get all the way back, this thing was like rolling down to the fairway. It was like rolling off the green, out to the front. Like it was borderline. Like you could be on the top shelf and have your ball just like trickle down and you could be just like off the front of the green rolling like 10 yards down the fairway and i was like yeah this may be a little little borderline 
and that's probably saying more about the speed of the greens today than the green itself. But um, main takeaway is just f really fun, kind of quirky Ross course. A lot more quirky than I'm kind of used to seeing with him. Um, interesting, like kind of undulation on the course that he kind of plays with. Uh, kind of notable holes out there are the, the fourth holes of Volcan Volcano Par 3, which is really cool, really short. Um, but I'm not a very good wedge player, so it's intimidating for me. Because you have a road behind, and you also have the next tee off to the left. And there's, like, people on that tee, and you're like, this is, like, a little scary. And then you have just, like, big, you know, fall off in front, making giving it that, like, big volcano look. And, um, yeah, and, like, a punch bowl green, which was unusual to see. And um, just, like, some quirky things, just, like, blind over the hill, like, running down to the green down below, almost drivable except for a bunker in front. Um, but I just thought it was really cool. Um, wish I had something up here in New York that I could join <laughs> at the price of Lulu. You know, I'm not, I don't even know what the greens fee was, but we, you know, my, my friend sent me a Venmo request and it was for the greens fee, but also for like our meal and a couple beers after. And it was less than a hundred dollars. And I spent $30 to get down to Philly. So like basically just around a hundred dollars for that whole day as a guest. I was like, wow, this is ideal. I mean, <laughs> I would do this most weekends. Like it's not that hard to get from New York down there. Um, really nice Amtrak ride traveling with the train on the train with your golf clubs is not the greatest thing in the world, but it's something I've certainly get gotten used to being in New York. So just, you know, just shout out to Lulu, really fun golf course. Uh, excited to go down there again. Um, hopefully, check out some other places in Philly, public court golf courses like Jeffersonville, which I've never played. Would love to go down there. And then I gotta just keep exploring um, stuff around here in New York. So, yeah, just I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. And um, yeah, just had had an awesome day. Okay, guys, that's gonna be all I have this week. Uh, I'll be back next week. We'll talk a little bit about the event down in Mexico and whatever else is going on. Maybe some other golf stories for you. But um, I continue to appreciate you guys listening. I uh, can't wait for like the new year to, to start where we can kind of feel re-energized with the golf season and, and get kind of that inkling. We'll get those first Masters ads usually on um, New Year's Day, but we'll be back before that. But uh, that's the time when I'm really kind of excited to talk about what's going on in the world of golf. So um, thanks again and hope you have a great week. Thanks.